following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I had an entirely different introduction to this message planned. But in listening to the prayer requests and so on, my my heart and mind were drawn to something different. And to make this connection somehow, I have always loved this passage of Scripture, and as I have grown older, it's become even more important and more meaningful. Some of you who are young won't understand the deep wisdom of these words. Um, well, because you're not old. You're not old enough, at least. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Paul writes about our common human condition and our and what should be our common faith condition. And as I was listening to the prayer requests and, and so many of you that are struggling and and hurting with all kinds of things. And and that is Sadly, that is the, com- the commonality of our existence. We live in a fallen world, right? It's not how God wanted this to be. It's not like God wants us to suffer through all the things we do, but with sin came death and everything in between. And Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 16, and he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. There is no more difficult place in life to be than to lose heart. You can lose an arm and go on. You can lose a leg and go on. You can lose a spouse and go on. You can lose a lot of things in life. But when you lose heart, you've lost the desire to go on. And I've seen that happen. I remember, I remember walking into uh, an apartment a few years ago of a woman I knew and loved for a long time. Who Her and her husband had retired. They were living in this comfortable little apartment. And she said to me very dejectedly, she said, I realized yesterday that I'm just sitting here waiting to die. She'd lost heart. She had lost heart. And Paul goes on and says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Are we? That's the question, isn't it? And that's not just about us old folks either that are struggling through different illnesses. That's about you youngins. Are you being renewed 
day by day. It's great to learn your basketball skills. Are you learning about the God that we say we serve? It's wonderful to be a good student. But are you a student of the word? I think every one of us needs to ask ourselves that question. Are we being renewed inwardly? And then Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles. Ooh. It's hard to see that in the midst of the struggle. But here's the promise. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And here's where we come to our, to our passage today, and I want to tie this back into Genesis. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Does anybody besides me ever forget that? Am I the only one that forgets that what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal? It's about trust. Uh, several times in our prayer today, Jonathan prayed about trust and faith. And that's what it's about, isn't it? When we stop trusting God, when we stop having faith in his plan and in his person, who he is and what he has for us, when we stop believing that, we've lost it all. We've lost heart. And in Genesis chapter 26, if you want to turn back there, we're really going to be short on time here. So we're going to kind of do a survey of this. But there, it's important that we see this because this is a story about conflict. It's a story about good grief, a dysfunctional family, as dysfunctional as you can get. By the way, all your families are dysfunctional too. Um, you don't think so? Ever had teenagers? Ever tried to raise children? It's every family is dysfunctional. You know why? Because the first family was dysfunctional. Remember Adam and Eve? How'd their family turn out? One killed the other. <laughs> hey, that's the, like everybody else's family, right? But we're going to see about a dysfunctional family that could not trust the unseen. They could not trust the unseen. Their eyes were set on what they could see, on the temporary. And this is going to be, man, this is going to be a flyover. We're going to see four stages here of conflict. And, 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 and listen, if you are a person of faith, unless you are a, a towering pillar of faith, which I am not, you struggle sometimes with matters of faith 
and trust. And, and it's a conflict that, that works within us. We have conflict with other people. Amen? How many of you have a household that never, never, ever has conflict? I see a lot of smiles. <laughs> no, because we are human beings and we have conflicts. This church, we don't all agree on everything. Probably in your workplace or in your school. Anywhere you go, we have conflict. And this is a story of conflict. We're familiar. We've been working our way toward this in this amazing story of Isaac and, and Rebecca and their sons, Jacob and Esau. By the way, this would make a great movie. The first thing we see is that conflict is rooted in sin. Conflict is rooted in sin. It's always there when there is conflict. Look at chapter 26, verse 34 and 35. I love this. When Esau, son of Isaac and Rebekah, was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Barry and the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. I love this sentence. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, I got to be careful what I say here. Have any of your children ever brought home a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And you thought, oh, God, please no. Not this one. Not this one. You never done it? We have, but Jonathan married her anyway. Um, no, you know, I told the story before. The, when, the night we met her, we were in Greenville at Jonathan's house, and, and we go out for ice cream or something, and we chat away, and we come back to the house, and Aaron left the room for a minute, and Judy and I both looked at Jonathan and said, don't mess this up, we like her. <laughs> We've been blessed, but I know there's conflict in families over this. But you know what this conflict is rooted in is the sin of Esau. What did he do? A couple of things. Number one, married two women. Do, need I say no more? I, he married two women and probably more than that. There's good indication that it was more than that. He chose to marry two women. Women, not only two women, but two foreign women, which he was commanded not to do. Now, make something clear here, real quickly, but polygamy, not God's plan, right? Right? You understand that? And, and, and 
earliest in Genesis 2.24, which says, a man shall leave home. Yeah, father and mother, and a woman leave her home, and the three or four, five, whatever, will become one, right? And the two shall become one. The two shall become one. Conflict is, is sourced in sin. It starts in sin. It's rooted in sin. Then the second point then, real quickly here, conflict is fed <laughs> by desire. This is a long passage, so we can't read it, obviously. Uh, I, I trust that you will because it's a wonderful, amazing, crazy story. But the conflict is fed by desire. James says in James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, what causes the quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire what you do not have, so you kill. You covet what you, do not, what you cannot get, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not. It's, it's all about us. It's all about us. It's all about what we want, our desires. When we don't get what we want, man, we raised five kids. And the earliest thing they learned to do was to cry and scream and pout when they didn't get what they wanted, right? Hey, we do it well too, don't we? I do. And the problem with this conflict is that it spreads. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's just a little seed of sinful conflict. You ever seen it spread throughout a family, throughout a workplace? One person. One angry person. I've seen it in churches. One angry person. Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob are all energized by sinful desires. And as you look at this, you see, first of all, Isaac wants to do what? When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. This is interesting because scholars kind of believe that Isaac was about 137 years old now. And you're thinking, well, yeah. He probably lived to be 180. He probably had another 43 years in him. But he'd grown old, and, and it was common in that day that your eyesight would start to fail. It's common in this day. Uh, he says, as he's trying to read the words, and he wants to give Esau the blessing. So he says, go out and get some fresh meat. Now, turn back real quick, real, real, real quick. 25, chapter 25. 
at the birth, remember, the Lord said to Rebecca when she gave birth, or she was going to give birth to twins, two nations are in your room, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Then Isaac's born, he's, he's, <laughs> he's red and hairy. I just think that's funny, but... Then in verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The great divide begins. Isaac wants his favorite blessed. What's the problem? I mean, this would have been common. Who was the oldest? Esau. Normally, the birthright and the blessing, I'll go to the oldest. But remember what, I, what Esau had done with the blessing? I mean, with the birthright? He'd given it up for some stew. Jonathan talked about, about that and, and the impatience involved. Rebecca wants her favorite blessed. Who's her favorite? Jacob. Wait a minute. Wasn't Jacob already blessed by God? Wasn't that the whole point? We fix our eyes on what is unseen and not what is seen, right? Rebecca doesn't get that. Jacob was already blessed by God. Esau wants the perks of the blessing, and Jacob wants control. So, so Rebecca comes up with this plan. It's kind of convoluted, and Jacob's not sure about it. Not sure they can get away with it, but they do. And even Isaac is not sure when Jacob comes covered with a hairy garment and all of the rest. Yet, he ultimately gives in and gives Jacob the blessing. This conflict is all spread by, by sinful desires. In a sense, Jacob, has al- Jacob steals what has already been given him by God. Third, conflict is sustained by anger. Sustained by anger, verses 41 through 46. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. See, the story just gets more complicated 
And then he says, the days of mourning for my father are near. He's anticipating that Isaac is going to die very quickly. And, very, and, and so when he does, he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. Now, there have been times when my sons would beat on each other because that's what boys did. And, and you wondered, but they would never, ever dream of that. But you know what? We're capable of it. Anger left absolutely unchecked become, can easily become a murderous thing. We were at a church last week. Um, I was speaking, and Judy was sitting, in, and she'd sat with, in front of a couple the last time we were there. And since that time, the husband in little Ohio, Illinois, had been shot to death, been murdered. It can happen. Anger can can fester, left uncontrolled. We are capable. That's the thing about, about depravity of man. We're not as bad as we could be, but we're sure capable. Conflict is sustained by anger. It takes fuel to keep a fire burning. Esau's anger toward Jacob becomes a murderous obsession. And then finally, we have to see that, that this conflict is deepened by pride. Have you ever gotten yourself in a situation that you can't get out of? And if you did try, if you did do what was necessary to escape it, it would be embarrassing, and you can't do that. Why is that? Pride. Pride. How many of us just can never say, I'm sorry? You know my, how many husbands and wives we've sat with over the years who can never learn to say, I'm sorry? Can never learn to face their own sin. Esau never faces his own sin. He still, as we come to the close of this passage in chapter 28, he's still trying to, to win his father's favor, but he never confesses his own sin. Let me give you a couple closing points. Because somewhere along the line, we have to stop the bleeding, don't we? There are, Jonathan and I talked about this, there are dozens of sermons to be found in this passage. We've just skimmed the surface. But what I see are, are four things, first of all, that God can and will use the worst of circumstances, the worst of our sinful actions to accomplish his plan and purposes. You know, that's the comforting thing about the scriptures. God doesn't use perfect people. 
If you're a perfect person, you don't need to be here. God doesn't need perfect people. He needs faithful people, trusting people. He needs people who will trust his plan and his purposes. That wasn't Isaac, was it? Or Rebecca, or Jacob and Esau, yet he used them to accomplish his ultimate plan. God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises, okay? You and I, we were talking about this this morning in the office and, 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 and how as followers of Jesus, and I do believe that once we are saved, we are saved for eternity. And I know that when I die, Heaven will be my home. But the road I take to get there (laughs) is a lot up to me. I can really mess it up. I can make it pretty miserable. God will keep his promises even when we are unfaithful. Our salvation is certain even when the road of life is not. Let me end with, God calls us to faith, to trust him even when our eyes fail us. Even when our eyes fail us. When you can't see his plans, you don't feel his hands, how's the song go? Trust his heart. He's still God. I've quoted this so many times, probably about every message, I suppose. Psalm 13, five and, verses 5 and 6. A very hurting David who is struggling through all kinds of things, even an uncertainty about whether he can go on living or whether he wants to go on living. And he pours it all out to God. And I can see David hunched over, however it was you wrote, hunched over and, and, and weeping and trembling violently in his pain. And writing all this down and coming to this conclusion, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has been good to me. For he has been good to me. God has proved himself over and over and over to us, hasn't he? You forget that? You ever forget that? I do. I do, and I have to be reminded. God has never, ever 
failed us. God will never, ever fail you. His protection and his provision and his plan is certain. A lack of faith, a lack of faith is the most destructive thing we can grab hold of. We need to quit. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God, thank you for your faithfulness, even when we are not. Even when we are not. Even when we, in a lack of trust, in a lack of of faith, when we put our eyes on the world around us, when we take our eyes off of you and the waters swallow us up, when our lives and our hearts and our bodies are ravaged with pain, when we hurt for those around us who are struggling and suffering, great is thy faithfulness. God, we repent of our lack of trust sometimes. And thankful that when we do, when we are rattled with this pain, you, you see our hearts, you see our pain, you, you know. You know. And God, when we come around like David... And we can see that even in our lack of faith, you work. Your plan is still there. And we can come like David and say, but we, God, trust in your unfailing love. Our hearts rejoice in your salvation. We will sing to you, God, because you have been good to us. God, help us never, ever, ever to forget your love never fails, never gives up on us, never runs out on us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.